Welcome, friends. This week we are excited to be talking with Gianna Darling. Welcome, Gianna. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Now, I was reading over your bio when I was getting all this ready, and my gosh, you've got an extensive list of achievements there. So you are a USA Today and Top 40 Amazon best-selling romance writer. Um, And obviously you do specialise in taboo and the angsty side of love and romance, which we are totally there for um but I just like are reading all the other bits and pieces firstly I love that you have a cat called Persephone oh yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah. and, I'm obsessed uh, with the myth so I had yes to. <laughs> absolutely and your golden retriever puppy is called Romeo which again I love it because firstly I feel like there are you know the um the dark dream duet is basically like a modern age Romeo and Juliet type situation so I do love that that but I was just reading little bits and pieces like you love spending time riding on the back of your man's bike baking pies I'm like oh my god look at you go <laughs> also like the back of the bike thing is just really reminding me of romance novels as well so that's kind of <laughs> getting there but these are the things I was talking about so lifetime athlete playing and coaching basketball soccer field hockey and softball I'm like um, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things. Trust me, I just don't include them. <laughs> so are, you, are you still are you still doing all of that while riding now? Um, I still coach a basketball team at my old high school uh, just for fun, and the kids are super great. I always say that I'm going to stop, but then I get attached to them, and I want to go back. <laughs> so um, yeah, I do that, and then I still play soccer, but not really competitively anymore. Just intramural teams, and I still watch lots of sports, but not really playing on, not playing at the competitive level that I did for most of my life. That's so awesome. And then so you've gone like athlete, like competitive athlete, coaching, like, you know, actually competing. Uh, and then we went to um, into food blogging and yeah. being a food <laughs> journalist, a French tutor and the owner of a pie company. And I'm just like <laughs> mind blown at the amount of stuff that you have done is amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. I have a lot of passions and um, I think just was trying to find exactly what I really love to do. And so I did have a wholesale pie company for a while, which was really fun, but I learned that I did not want to be in a kitchen on my feet all day. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly the most relaxing job. Um, And I loved food writing. I did, but at the end of the day, romance was where my heart was and writing fiction has always been, since I was eight years old, I've been writing fiction. So this is where I ended up and it was a cool journey to get here. Lots of, tried on lots of different hats, but this one fit the best. That is so awesome. And I'm just like, obviously you've got so many different experiences to draw from as well while you're writing. So it's, yeah, kind of just built that up into your writing career because you've just got all of those things that you can draw from and and you know think about 
For sure. And a lot of the time when people ask me for writing advice, I say, try to live your fullest life. Don't just focus on being at your desk every day because you, I call it the creative well. You yep. need things in that creative well to draw from. If it's dry, if you're not, if you're not happy, if you're not living a fulfilled life personally, it's going to be really hard to write the kind of writing that you want because you have nothing to pull from. Absolutely. That's, that, that is fantastic advice. And it's completely true because yeah, if you've got nothing there to draw from creatively, then yeah. Now it does say as well that you uh, live off an island in Vancouver. Now, do you see killer whales like daily? Cause that is literally my dream to live on an island in Vancouver and just watch whales. You need to come visit then because yes, actually it's funny. We see them so often that you can tell there's a ferry that goes from my island to the mainland to Vancouver. And you can tell who's a tourist and who's a local because almost every sailing on the ferry the will come over the PA system and be like, there are orca whales on the port side and all the tourists rush to the windows and all oh, the locals God. are like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like literally it's a, like I- She's obsessed fantasize about like I would just love it well I've been to Vancouver once and it's just so amazing it's literally out of a fairy tale and I've said if there's one place in the world I would live there and so when I seen that in your bio I was like oh my gosh you should should come back I mean obviously I'm I'm coming back yeah the whale watching is insane like not even just going out on boats but um, at my mom's house, there's a cove and every August they come and like play in the cove and my birthday oh, happens God. to be during that month. And so often for my birthday, we'll be, have something in the backyard so that we can catch a glimpse of the orcas. And if that's I see them, so my awesome. birthday, I always think it's a good omen. For the year. Like, oh my God. That's amazing. Cry, like, <laughs> I don't cry at all, but this is like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm just going to live vicariously through your, your birthdays. <laughs> I'll try to get a video and send it to you. Sometime oh my gosh, so I, would I would love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah when we did go over I literally that was my biggest goal was to just go and see them because we just don't have them here and um and yeah I dragged my my kids on like a seven hour boat trip (laughs) was it worth it did you see them no we didn't we seen all like humpbacks and everything but so but that's fine because now it's an excuse for me to go back <laughs> you try to see the transient pods because they're super playful the best experience I ever had was they actually were hunting a seal and we watched them it's kind of gross but they toss it back and forth <laughs> like <laughs> And then afterwards, they were super playful. They came, two of the babies came up to our boat and were playing and interacting with us. And one of them actually blew on me. So I had a really good whale. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's literally, we did an episode where we spoke about like childhood oh God, dreams. That. And my childhood dream was to be like a, like be a marine biologist so I could play with um, orcas all day. That was what. <laughs> so oh gosh, you have look, to come back. I will be. I will be. <laughs> I mean, you can take a, a leaf out of Gianna's book because she's she's worn plenty of hats. So you could still do that. You could. Yeah, still. you could. I yeah. honestly I believe that you can do whatever you want to. One of my aunts, who was also one of my best friends, she's sixty two, and she just went back to university to study nonfiction writing. And it's going super well. And I'm like, good for her. She always wanted to do it and she's doing it. And I just think that's so inspiring. You can do whatever you want to at any stage in your life. You just have to yeah, take Absolutely. That's, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That is awesome. I love that. 
So today we're going to talk about the Dark Dream duet. So obviously we've got um, the prequel novella is out as well as book one. And but if you get book one now, it actually includes that novella in it, which is which is awesome. So book one is Dangerous Temptations. Um, it is an age gap taboo enemies to lovers romance. Now, I was very surprised because I like like we go in blind with a lot of the things. But what we do is we base out what we read off, you know, other people's re- like referrals and also like authors. So like we kind of see videos that authors put up and we're like, yeah, cool. We gel with that person. <laughs> Definitely going to be writing books that we like. So we just read them. Anyway, I was like, okay, where's this going? I was, I said to her, I'm like, cause she's not very much, she's got a, this weird thing with age gaps where if they're not 18 yet, she can't deal with it. But as soon as they turn 18, it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but in saying that I did like it where you were like, in New York, 17 is the age of consent. I'm like, well, that's fine then. That is fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I definitely, like I have one other heroine in another book who's 17, <clears throat> pardon me. And the age of consent where she lives is actually 16. So I would never go below the legal age of consent, of course. Um, and she kind of had to be under 18 for the guardian ward thing to really work. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, your your age gap though isn't so much like the consent because like it was before we hit thirty, she was like, I can't deal with if it's a twenty year old and some dude in his like thirties like that. And now we're in our thirties, we're like, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? I mean, I so there's actually a line in the book, and it's basically my ethos, and I'm paraphrasing it, but basically, you know age is not indicative of the maturation of the human heart Mm -hmm. it's Um, true it's true yeah and I think absolutely like when we get Bianca's story and we go through you know all the things that she's been through in her life she Mm -hmm. like even without saying that like you already get the understanding that she's just not she's more mature she's not a normal 17 year old child like she's not Yeah, she's she's an adult. She's been taking care of her brother. He's got like serious medical issues that she's been looking after. She's essentially been taking care of her mum as well. So like she has basically been the adult in that relationship the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it is it is gutting as we get to know their story. So obviously we've got Ada, Bianca, and Brandon, and they live in a little town in Texas. And then all of a sudden, you know, we learn that Ada's just basically like trying to get whoever she can get she's saying it's to get money for the family but really it's because she wants the attention um and because Bianca's main focus is on trying to get money to afford Brandon's um any seizure medication and trying to get him into the top specialist and things like things like that that's what she's focusing on mm-hmm. so she um Ada has had an affair with Lane Constantine, who is the head of the Constantine family, um, had these two kids and then Lane's being killed. So now they're trying to scramble to get through. In comes Tiernan. Now, at first you're like, okay, he is an asshole. He is. <laughs> he comes in and I mean that very first scene that he has with Bianca where he like squeezes her hand around the rose oh my god I don't know what it was but it was so powerful that scene like because I don't know it was like 
just the way she described it, I guess, with the with the thorns and everything like that, it was just really powerful in terms of, and she was saying, you know, I could just tell that this moment was going to be life-changing moving forward, like the, the air was charged with electricity type thing. Um, and just how oblivious Ada is to everything as well. Like, you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Like, be nice to him, okay? <laughs> um, so... Yeah, they're, they're meeting each other and her and Tiananmen are still having all of these, over the time that they're together, they're having all of these little kind of verbal spas um, together. But they're kind of, they're kind of even at that early stage are a little bit sexually charged in terms of the way they're, you know, talking to each other and things like that. And although neither of them are going to admit it. Um, and then it comes to the most devastating scene <laughs> oh my god because a lot of the book is spent with Bianca like obviously she resents her mum a fair bit for all of the stuff that's been piled on her shoulders but then comes to this night and she's kind of like okay you know she really goes into how much she does love her mum and you know she's all I've got and even though I do have that bit of resentment I do love her and they're like oh let's have a sleepover and then she wakes up and her mum is dead yeah in the bed with her oh it was so devastating and I guess even more so because she like took the time to move Brandon back to his room so that he didn't have to wake up in the bed with her as well and and following on from it as well how she just keeps checking Brandon's pulse all the time and I'm like oh my god it's so devastating which I do love Brandon by the way he's like so cute isn't he adorable? And he's so brutally honest. I just love it because he just like says the most awkward things and he's just like, what? I don't. Well, I'm... kids just don't know what is socially acceptable yet, right? I know. And it's hilarious. I, my, my uh, partner has a half brother who is eight and he was actually the inspiration for Brando. And <laughs> it's because there's this charm to their sincerity like they have no clue that they're potentially throwing like a social bomb into the group they're just saying what's on their mind and there's just this charm to that behavior um that when you're older it kind of disappears (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely I I mean we we both have well my son's eight and Amanda's got children like around the same age and some of the stuff they come out with they're like you can't say Yes, exactly. And also so funny. (laughs) Hilarious. And he's he definitely brings a levity, a needed levity, I think, to the book because it's dark and brooding. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. He was I did love that he made like he lied about his birthday so he could get pancakes. (laughs) Oh yeah. That was the best. (laughs) That was the best. In the wake of Ada's death, um, Bianca's like, okay, I've got nobody. So she calls Tiernan and she doesn't hear that he calls himself Morelli at mm-hmm. the time because there is that big background between the Morelli and the Constantine. So she just she's just so overwhelmed that she kind of just bypasses that and he says, I'll sort it out. At which time we kind of get an insight into his motives for being there. So we didn't realise before, but he kind of basically lays it out that his plan was to, you know, seduce Ada, find out the secrets, find out, you know, what if anything, Lane left for them as a family. And he's like, well, that's fine. You know, she was just a means to an end. I can 
I can just become a guardian to the kids and that's fine. We can achieve the same goal, no problems. And he's just so heartless about it. Like he just comes to the funeral and he is so horrible to her. (laughs) Just like, what? Why are you grieving? Like just get over it, people die. Um, And (laughs) takes them from their town, takes them to New York to lie in court, you know, this creepy gothic mansion on on the hills and um and just was like you know whatever settle in you know don't touch anything by the way um <laughs> to a seven-year-old you will only stay in your room that's the same do not touch anything but then we start to meet all of the gentlemen which yeah. i love them I all so love much. Them. i know oh that makes me so happy i want a little little crew of gentlemen <laughs> I know I know (laughs) they're so cute and I love it because they're they I guess give you a completely different view of Tina at that time even when he's still being an asshole because they're all so varied they're so diverse they've all got issues um in terms of you know Walcott he was a model he had a fiery car accident ends up with you know horrible burn scars all over his body um Henrik is gay he's you know had his difficulties with that and you know kind of sneaking out and going to do his um shows which I absolutely love <laughs> um and then Ezra is deaf so he's there you know kind of signing and everything like that and they've all had their challenges in life and I think that's how you kind of understand that there is that other layer of Tiernan because he has taken them all in and given them all a family and they've all kind of come together and supported each other. And you can obviously see that he does have a heart because he just, he does love these guys so much and cares for them so much. Mm. But even when like, when Bianca thinks that it's the gentleman doing all these things for um, for Brando and then they're like oh no Tiernan did it and it, you know which part I really loved I loved that Brando got his Spider-Man sheets yeah. no. <laughs> like this is all I need in here is my Spider-Man sheets and then he got them and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> I know it's just the little things that he does yeah. along the way and because he takes her locket which was given to her by her father she at this stage doesn't realize that he's a Morelli so she just she thinks he's a McTiernan which he partially is but um so she doesn't know he's got any ulterior ulterior motive she doesn't understand why she's he's taking her father's locket he's obviously doing that because he wants to try and find out the secrets of this hidden inheritance he goes down and discusses it with the with the gentleman and this is when things start to shift because the gentlemen are slowly starting to you know kind of take on that familiar bond with with Bianca and Brandon Um, and they kind of have his ear and they slowly start kind of saying little things about whether he really wants to go ahead with this plan you know what's his end goal does he really need to impress his family that sort of stuff yeah but one of the major turning points is when they witness Brandon have his um, seizure I think because that really just changes his perception, Tiernan's perception a lot about the whole situation. And he becomes very caring at certain times. 
Um, you know, he looks into all the top doctors. He gets him the medical dog. Oh, my God. That was, like, awesome. so beautiful. Um, and he slowly starts actually letting his walls down around Bianca as well because she's got such a strong power over him that he's never admitted. But we, we find a lot out about him, which is totally devastating. Oh. Firstly, so many siblings. So, so many, many so many of them. <laughs> Seven siblings, yeah. But he basically has always just craved that connection with his family. And from the age of 12, it was just cut off for him. His father, who isn't really his father, he doesn't know who that is, um, basically turned him into a weapon from that age. So he slowly started disconnecting him from all of his siblings. He made him beat his brother. He like hit him with a belt so hard that he left him with a scar across his face and then essentially just closed him off from the world so nobody would see him. And it's so sad because even like at this age, his dad still says all these horrible things to him and he's still so affected by it because he's still on the one hand is like, I'm going to get revenge because, you know, I've been building this empire behind the scenes. But on the other hand, he's really still trying to get that approval that he's always sought from him. Um, And he can't see it. The gentlemen are trying to tell him, why do you need his approval? You know? Um, But it's so, so devastating. Every time he talks to his dad, I hate his dad so much. And he's left out of the family portrait as well. Oh my God. That was so devastating. I know. And I'm like, yeah, you throw that knife (laughs) throw out the family portrait break that you you can get your own portrait you don't need them (laughs) yeah i know i know so she starts at a new school and she meets elias constantine um who doesn't know that they're related and she's like oh okay i can get a few little insights here and he's like i'm on the outer so i don't really know much but they they become good friends they go to the met she sees the Picasso painting Mm. that her dad bought for her that had been donated there. And then she decides, I'm going to play my luck here because, you know, Tiernan's trying to get me to, you know, conform and I'm not going to conform. So I'm going to switch my phone off and I'm going to go get a tattoo randomly. Yeah. And then what follows is an extremely erotic scene. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you think so. (laughs) It was like, oh, my also, as soon as like God. she feels that presence of him without seeing him, and I'm like, <gasps> what's going down? And then he's like, 20 seconds. Now you have 10 seconds. Get in the car. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks her into like the garden and he's just like, bend over. And They've had this dominant submissive thing going on for a while. And while she's like so sassy and she likes to talk back to him and everything like that, she kind of is like overtaken by her own desires at that point to see where it's going to lead them. And so she does. And he, you know, spanks her with the cane and she's kind of almost getting off on it. She gets so close to getting off. And then as she's coming down, she realizes, oh, shit what did I just let happen? And she kind of retreats. And then he sends her up a bomb for her ass. I know. How awkward. But <laughs> <laughs> he got Walcott to deliver it as well. And Walcott's just like. He should have just like, just take it. Just take it. I, did. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. 
I know. I was like, oh, how embarrassing. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But also caring. That's really nice. Well, it's Good aftercare. <laughs> it's it's aftercare. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it was really important actually that point because, you know, you hear a lot about those types of scenes with dominants and submissives and how the submissives can ride on such a high and kind of go into that subspace and then afterwards they can become quite emotional and especially because they didn't really have that connection prior to entering that relationship and doing you know that spanking scene essentially um she was kind of shutting down immediately afterwards because her emotions were just like too overwhelmed but then when he did that bit of aftercare with her she was like okay maybe (laughs) he does care he does care he gave me balm for my ass Um. (laughs) it's the little things it is the little things absolutely um and then another, I guess, big part is after she get after she finds out that Tian and got her the dog, the dog for Brandon, she decides to go for a run, and she gets hit by Caroline Constantine's car. She's just like Caroline is such a cow, though. She's like, um, excuse me, but you could have put a dent in my car because you were too stupid to keep an eye out. <laughs> Oh, she's awful for sure. She's so terrible. But Elias is with her and he's like, oh, I've been forced to come along because I've, I'm in the naughty corner, basically. Um, terrible things. Which, like, Elias, what have you done? What have you done? And also, why did she have that familiarity with her? Like, Caroline was kind of like, oh, you're staying there. Okay, we should become friends. Like, I feel like Caroline has... I don't know, some sort of something's going on there. I don't know if she knows who she is or what, but it's very, very seedy. So she's like, yes, we will be friends. You will come to my house for dinner. And yeah, we're yet to see that play out, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, because she's kind of triggered by the dove tattoo as well. Like, because Yeah, that's the thing. She saw that. She saw that tattoo. And yeah, she just seemed a bit seedy about it. So I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Caroline is very clever. She's horrific, but she's very clever. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, so she keeps going on her run, gets lost. Tiernan is following her. She doesn't know it's him. And then comes the beach scene. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I can't even explain it. Like I, I was saying to Beck this morning, I'm like, normally, normally... I'm not there for the virginity scenes because usually they're quite awkward, but she's like an old soul and she's so already, I guess, in tune with these darker and baser urges of hers that she's just like, you know what? It's happening. And she just like goes with it. There's no hesitation. She's like, I believe she says, fuck me. So I think that's, (laughs) it's just like, like, all right and harder and she's just use me basically use my body for whatever you need um uh, look, i was a bit traumatized with the sand in the hair um, <laughs> fair <laughs> the sand yeah the sand is a tough one definitely <laughs> but he goes all caveman mid act and he's like from now on you are mine forever more um and then oh, afterwards he's a little bit regretting it he's like oh 
maybe I should have laid all my cards out like that. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's kind of like retreats into himself, like, mm, not sure whether I wanted to go that far, but we'll see. Because um, he's just addicted to the fact that she just, she lets him live out his darker side as well without any judgment um, and kind of offers him everything that he needs. So he's a little bit torn as to whether he wants to continue on with his plan to take it to Lane Constantine's memory ball and expose her as his bastard child. That is really harsh. That is really harsh. harsh. (laughs) It is her father's memorial ball and you plan on humiliating her in front of everybody. <laughs> Surprise, everybody! The birth certificate I have it available too, just to prove. Um, we also find out that Tianan has a bit of a weird mummy issue. Oh yeah, <laughs> his mum is weird. And we were laughing about the gift that he got from his brother, the book about the yeah, the I older like, person. What an asshole move! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! The whole family are super mean, <laughs> right? right and we find out about the fact that he was actually with the constantine as well grace who was pregnant with his child and was then murdered so that's um probably one of his biggest motivators for getting revenge um she wasn't murdered but she was compelled to commit suicide yeah she yeah she overdosed didn't she yeah 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 where where do you know I feel it's the same thing. I feel they've kind of pushed it to that. So it's essentially, yeah. but I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's kind of his, you know, biggest desire to get revenge is to kind of, you know, push that sort of boundary um, in relation to Grace. And his father keeps bringing her up as well as like a tormenting type of thing. And we also find out that Bianca was, kidnapped by who she thinks was a Morelli she doesn't know though um and then Lane saved her they were living in New York at the time quite wealthy and then he moved them to Texas to keep them safe and they were still fairly wealthy until he died and then they were kind of left destitute but that's one of the things that we slowly find out about Tiernan's plan is that he found out that there's all these ties to this these holdings in this company which are worth quite a lot of money and he wants to get access to them as the guardian so that he can control this Constantine company but they have to work out where it is so Henrik comes back from his night out with his with his um stilettos and um <laughs> which I just love that that um detail as well it was based on a man I saw in San Francisco once while visiting my father there. And there was this huge built bald headed man wearing like a muscle shirt and, and uh, jeans and then bright pink six inch stiletto heels. And I love that. Like a champ up a hill in San Francisco. And that's what spawned Henrik. All I can say oh, is. I love that. I struggle to walk in normal high heels, not, not even six inch high heels. And like, they're, you know, a lot bulkier than that. But I just think, congratulations. That is a real, (laughs) that is a real feat. Like that is. (laughs) Um, So he comes back and he's like, look, I don't think you should do this revenge plot anymore, but I have found out where I think the clue is. And it's the Picasso 
dove painting. Da, da, da. <laughs> He's figured it out. He's figured it out. He's figured it out. So they all get ready to go to the ball and she obviously comes down in like essentially a dove dress. It's very, um, <laughs> you know, symbolic and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and Tiana's just like, oh, Dan, I'm going to have to kiss her. In front of everyone. And And they're all just sitting there like goofily grinning. And he's like, you kiss her better than you kiss my mom. And I'm like, oh, that's a Oh, my God. I love that. I love that. (laughs) So they go to the ball. But on the way there, she basically breaks down most of his other barriers. And he's like, I had plans and you've broken them. And so he takes her into the ball. But I really don't think he was going to expose her. That's my thoughts. I'm pretty sure he goes straight to the dove painting, cuts it open, finds a key. And I'm pretty sure he was going to take her out of the Met at that point. I don't think he was going to expose her. I don't think that was his intention. Oh, we don't know, Amanda. We don't know. Until (laughs) we don't, we don't. Until Daddy Morelli comes out of the shadows and exposes Tiernan as the Morelli son. She's all like, oh. <laughs> I love at that point though, his dad's like happy to claim him. <laughs> I know his dad's like happy to claim him at that point. And I also love that prior to him claiming him that she's kind of like trying to protect him and putting like hold his hand and put him behind her and be like, we don't want nothing to do with you. She's like, yeah, that's my son. Like, oh, damn. Um <laughs> It just got real. I know. And the good thing is, though, that he didn't see um, her take, him take the key from the the painting. So he still thinks that they haven't found anything. Mm. But the devastating thing was that he brought Carter into it. Oh, I really feel like I could love Carter. I don't know why. He doesn't seem as bad as the other two brothers. And I feel yeah. like him and Tiernan could be good friends if they got past their whipping issue with the belt. Yeah. Pretty um, big issue, but if they could get past it. Maybe. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so Carter has a gun and they think they're going to have him under control just like they did when they used Grace. But he just goes ninja and knocks Carter out and then him and his dad are pointing a gun at each other and he's like run and so she's running down just imagine her tripping over you know sprawled like a dove hallway like a dove bawling her eyes out and of course Caroline's there in comes Caroline again and She's just so like callous as well. She's like, mm, yeah, okay. So you can come and stay at my house, but we need to clean you up first. Like, you gross. <laughs> then she also sees the guy, which I think is Elias's dad, who was at the funeral and says that he knew her uncle. And I'm like, well, I didn't even think of that. Conspiracy. Yeah. So we've got to find out what happens there. So obviously she goes with Caroline and she's like, well, we'll just get Brandon and we'll just, you know, get out of Dodge. That's fine. He's in the, you know, secret Picasso room with his father. And then he pulls the trigger. We don't know what happens there. Mm-mm. And that's the you know ending. He pulls the trigger or is it Ryan's yeah. trigger? Well, he says he's going to. So a, a trigger is pulled. He said he was going Which to pull it. Trigger? We don't know. Don't know. I'm hoping it's him. Where will the dove go? Him. Will she go with Caroline? Will she? I don't know. 
Mm, mm, that's where we're left. So thankfully book two is coming out in a couple of weeks um, <laughs> because, you know, I need to know what's going on there. <laughs> Fair enough. It was a pretty severe cliffhanger. <laughs> but it was awesome. Like we thoroughly enjoyed reading it all the way to the end. So it will be very, yeah, we'll be very excited to see what happens. So how's that one? Is that all finished now and with with um, editors or where's it up to? Yeah, it's with editors now. Fantastic. So I feel like everybody, if you haven't read it, because I know some people listen to the spoiler episodes even when they haven't read it, you can go and read it because it's not that long until book two comes out. So you will have your answers very soon. But what else are you working on at the moment? Um, I'm currently working on book seven in the Fallen Men series, um, which comes out early next year. So yeah, it's cool to be back with that world. And I just finished a short story in that world as well for an anthology that comes out in December for Christmas. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's very exciting to hear. We haven't read that series yet, so I'm very interested to get in, into it because I've just seen so much love and hype for it. So definitely keen. popular series, yeah. <laughs> definitely keen to read it. Um, now, we normally ask some fun questions, which we do have some uh, put up for you but when I was on your website you had already answered a lot of fun questions that we do ask oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) no no that's okay um so you are allergic to sunscreen I am why you live in Vancouver (laughs) no I think if I was a redhead I'd essentially be allergic to the sun um but thankfully um I don't burn like I think I've had a burn a couple of times in my life so I'm lucky that way and I'm just careful but yeah sunscreen gives me outrageous hives and it's disgusting and horrible and I can't that is not fun no no it's a weird allergy though for sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know that's one I was like mm, okay <laughs> um now if you had a celebrity best friend it would be JLo or Jonah Hill yes 100%. <laughs> I I mean I can see that like I feel like Jonah Hill would be amazing best friend hilarious. Like, it would be hilarious oh, so funny everything you would go to the grocery store and it would suddenly become like the funnest experience you've ever had in yes. your whole life because yes, he's just absolutely. He's also really smart which I really appreciate as well he's witty and he's informed and he just seems like a really cool person yeah for sure yeah, yeah. for sure I get that Oh yes. So your, your favorite writing is age gap, but your partner's not that much older. <laughs> no, my partner is 16 days older than me. <laughs> um, not 16 years, which people probably would guess based on the fact that I don't think I've ever I've only written age gaps, I think. Yeah. I <laughs> love it. I actually love age gaps. It's one of my favorite tropes to read. So but yeah, this that's why I'm like, Amanda, you better this one. And she's like, I can't get over the age gap. But she is coming over. I'm, I'm loving age gaps now. You are loving them now, which is after years of trying to get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm there for it. And I totally understand the reticence. I think the reason, one of the reasons that I really love age gaps is because you take that initial feeling of like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. This kind of makes me uncomfortable. And that's the fun thing to overcome is you Mm -hmm. show two people with such a fierce connection that 
not that the age gap doesn't matter, but that it's kind of irrelevant to their connection and they can overcome the obstacles that it presents to them as a united front. Absolutely. And that's what makes a really epic love story, I think, out of an age gap. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so you have five hall pass celebrities, Jason Momoa, Chris Mm -hmm. Hemsworth, Idris Elba, Brad Pitt, and Julianne Moore. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) It is definitely, I love that that diversity very diverse. there <laughs> very diverse yes I'm I'm a diverse lover um because they're all exquisite I think Brad Pitt is like a perfect specimen I'm partial to blondes my man is blonde um <laughs> Jason Momoa is the inspiration for my most popular hero uh Zeus Garrow in my Fallen Men series yeah. and he just is just so masculine and raw and like Rrr. yeah um, and julianne moore is a bit of a strange one i know but <laughs> my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies is hannibal which yep. is the, yes. of the lambs mm-hmm. and she just gets me in that movie and i find that yeah. movie like oddly erotic which probably says bad things about me but <laughs> 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 a cannibal. um but i just freaking love her and i think there's also I always wanted to be a redhead and she's a redhead and she's yeah Yeah, she's she's She's, fantastic she's stunning yeah absolutely so stunning she's very interesting she's a great actress I find also passion very attractive absolutely people like when you see them interviewed as well they're so passionate about what they talk about and it's just so compelling Mm. yeah absolutely I I agree with that it's definitely yeah somebody that's very passionate it just, it definitely draws you in. And I get that with Jason Momoa as well. Like, so this is totally a random fun fact. My husband and I were in Sydney shopping one day and we were just walking around and all of a sudden there was this, like, this giant man, like, so huge, wearing this middle of summer, right, middle of summer, wearing this massive fur coat and... <laughs> huge and then there was like guys around him and he's it, um, Chris is like that's Jason Momoa just so casual too that's Jason Momoa and I'm like looking at him so like he can't he's just got this presence about him. besides the fact he's wearing a fur coat you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I would add to it <laughs> but like he's just like he just had this powerful presence about him where I was just staring at him I had no idea I, I hadn't clicked at that point yeah. and I'm like oh it is like he was there for like pre- like a premiere for one of his movies at the time but he was just walking around the shopping center with this giant fur coat on and I'm like he can wow. wear a fur coat he wore like a pink velour suit to an award show he can wear whatever the hell he wants but he's so confident and he's just mm. got this raw masculine sex appeal that you're yeah. like you could wear a tutu and you'd be hot like I don't care <laughs> confidence so is sexy for sure he's a yeah. giant man too like he's oh. I have a thing for giant men too. Like yeah. a lot of my heroes are like six five, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care that a lot of them are six five. That's the way that I like. Yeah, them. He was a it's my book, and it will be what yeah. I want. And exactly, even One more of the- hilarious. His entourage were like half the size of him. I'm like, what are you gonna do? What are you? Gonna do? <laughs> These pictures of him with like they're all like half his size. I'm like, so you're gonna protect them single handedly if you're. Like, no, like, I, I would love to see that. that. Not that I want him injured, but I would just love to see that happen <laughs> from a purely uh, like enjoyment point of view. My most prized possession, one of them, is actually um, my personal assistant went to Comic Con one year, and she knew that 
uh, Jason Momoa inspired Zeus Garrow in Welcome to the Dark Side. So she got him to sign a copy of Welcome to the Dark Side for me. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And apparently, I mean, that is an it, awesome personal assistant. Yeah. Right? Oh, she's the best. And apparently, when she said that he was the inspiration for the hero, he was like, wow, that's cool. I'd rock a romance book. <laughs> <laughs> of course he would. Oh, like I just I can totally see him being like oh rad that's so cool that's amazing <laughs> that's I awesome that. yeah I just love him he just seems so great fantastic <laughs> what is your all-time favorite food oh my god that's so hard um my all-time favorite food well like chocolate probably yes honestly I'm gonna be even more specific Chocolate chip cookies are my, like, almost my raison d'etre. Like, I, one spring when I was doing my food writing, I made 65 different recipes for chocolate chip cookies to try to find (laughs) the best chocolate chip cookie. And now I have, like, my favorite four that I rotate through depending on my (laughs) chocolate chip cookie mood. But I'm basically the cookie monster from Sesame Street. Like, that's how much I love chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) Yeah, 65 recipes that's amazing yeah I'm not even exaggerating it was pretty crazy <laughs> well we have we have this awesome cookie place um outside our work and I had a cookie from the essay for the first time and it's more like it was massive and it was like warm and it was chocolate chip crunchy on the outside and then super moist and like melted chocolate on the inside <sighs> okay so now after this I'm gonna have to go make cookies yeah yeah it was just the right consistency and yeah I I get it though because a chocolate chip cookie like it has to be a good chocolate chip cookie is so satisfying like the chew the like crispy edge the gooey middle it's just such Mm -hmm. an experience and I know it seems like a mundane thing but I would take the perfect chocolate chip cookie over like the perfect steak or you know lobster or whatever any single day Next time I'm in the office, I'm definitely going to send you a picture of this cookie. It's like, please do. <laughs> yeah, good. good. I need to see it. <laughs> What's the most surprising place you've been inspired? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I tend to write about different locales in my writing a lot because I've had the good fortune to travel a lot so um like for example I did a three and a half month road trip of the UK and Ireland a few years ago and that spawned the idea for the enslaved duet which is set in an old manor home in uh northern England um so that I mean that's probably one of them um I honestly get inspired so much by tiny little things in tiny little places that it's kind of almost hard to track them sometimes, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's probably my best example. Fantastic. I could imagine there's so many beautiful buildings and things over there. Like, you know, we got like the national historic card um, membership so that we could, so we saw about 50 different manor homes. And when I was writing the enslaved duet, I, you know, I even like research different um, peerages and, you know, aristocracy. And I researched different times and different kind of methods of building manor homes. And I got really into that. 
for me, setting is kind of like a secondary character in my books. I always have the setting on the back cover because I feel like it's very evocative for the story. Yeah. Just like in Dangerous Temptation, you know, Lion Court and that like creepy haunted mansion filled with all of these like neglected but beautiful artworks, you know, yeah. and the fact that there that's, there's the door knocker on the cover, like setting is super important to me. Always. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does add to the story so significantly when you can kind of picture yourself being in these types of scenes when you're thinking about you know where you are and whatnot yeah Yeah. that tangible quality is there when there's good setting I think yes who uh is your favorite character that you've ever written why um (laughs) my favorite character ever written um I love well one of my favorite characters ever written is also a fan favorite and he's actually a side character named Mute um from my Fallen Men series lots of people will listen to this if they read the Fallen Men series and they will be very angry with me because something very bad happens um in Mute's life but I think for me the reason I love Mute it's kind of the same reason that I love Ezra um and there's another character sort of similar called Adriano in my mafia duet, Anti-Heroes in Love. And it's these strong silent types that it, it's kind of my homage to there's so many men out there that don't have the words, but that doesn't mean they don't have the substance. Mm-hmm. And that's my, fi- my favorite kind of character to write about because it's so easy to judge a book by its uh, by its cover, especially when someone isn't very emotive or someone isn't very expressive, but still waters run deep. And to show those characters and to show the depth of their love and their, you know, observation skills and their community and their protectiveness, those kinds of characteristics, it's really rewarding to delve into those characters and to show how pivotal they can be in their communities even if they're not the one that the spotlight is shining on absolutely yeah no I totally get that and you do get that with Ezra a lot like because he plays such a huge role in Brandon's life and um even in the gentleman's lives like you know um yeah I get that that's amazing what's your favorite drink to have while riding Right now I'm having a green juice, but um, I mean, I honestly, this is the thing. If I'm, I'm a bit of an odd writer, like I binge write. So I'll go into my office, I'll go into my bedroom and I'll turn off all the lights and I will work for like 14 hours and I'll just take breaks quickly to grab a little nibble, maybe go to the bathroom. Um, Sometimes I don't even do that. So a lot of the time I'm not really drinking while I'm writing (laughs) because I'm (laughs) like totally zoned zoned out of reality and into my story that sometimes my partner comes home and he'll be like have you had anything to drink today did you eat lunch and I'll be like oh I don't really remember but (laughs) I had lunch in my story (laughs) (laughs) I was satisfied through them they had an amazing lunch (laughs) do you ever enact revenge on anyone in real life through characters in your novel I haven't, no. Um, I'm not a very vindictive person, though I love revenge plots, as is Dangerous <laughs> Temptation. Um, I really am more like a Bianca type person where someone can do pretty horrible things to me and 
I'll still probably find a way to love them because that's just kind of who I am. <laughs> and so I don't think I could ever really hate someone enough to want to do that. Um, sometimes I give nods to people, um, but not really. Honestly, there's very, my worlds are really fictional. Um, sometimes people in my real life are like, you know, my, one of my best friends was like, well, I don't want to read them because I don't want to read about your sex life. And I was like, listen, first of all, you'd be so lucky to read about my sex life. But secondly, secondly, it's not about me. Um, And none of my characters are like me stock and barrel none of the heroes or or my boyfriend although he would love to say that they are um, (laughs) you know I think that they really come up from a place of creativity like pure fiction I think that my imagination is a cooler place to (laughs) play in than reality so no I haven't even really put a real life character in a book before that's cool I love it Maybe one day if someone pisses me off, watch it, you guys. No. <laughs> You'll be the first person to ever be written into Gianna's book. Well, I mean, like it. some people, some artists do. Look at Taylor Swift. I mean, she has no qualms yeah. about going out there and being like, it was you. I'm not saying your name, yeah. but every reference is about you. It's it's- <laughs> and knows. I know. The amount of hype about Jake Gyllenhaal at the moment is crazy. It's so funny too, because it was probably like, this was 10 years ago, it's over, you know, and then like 10 years later, it's all back in his face again. Yeah, it's just like, look, it, it's, it's inspired something and now, you know. I didn't let it go. I didn't let but it also go. you're yeah, welcome because now people are thinking about you again, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had forgotten about him, so he really should be grateful. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I agree. I agree. How do you come up with the names for your characters? Oh, I love this question because I am very particular about naming. Um, I always have been since I was, so I started writing when I was eight. And about since then, I've had this document on my computer of names. And it's their, like names that I like or find interesting, their origins and what they mean. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm a character driven author. So usually the characters, the scenario, I have the scenario and then the characters come kind of right after that um and a lot of the time they come fully named um just in my head like oh hello my name is you know king kyle garrow one of my heroes but sometimes i struggle and i really have to think about what the name means um and kind of what the associations with that name are so what's like a good example of that um like i have a heroine named louise not the best name, but I chose her name to be Louise because Louise is old fashioned and a bit stodgy and she grew up in a wealthy old fashioned family. But the nickname Lulu is super cute and fun and kind of sexy. And so she actually in the book, Welcome to the Dark Side, forms these two personalities. Louise, who is like the proper good girl and Lulu, who's this fun kind of badass rebel. And so when I was thinking of this character, that was kind of how I formed her name. So a lot of the time I kind of have to sit and make sure that the name is gonna fit kind Mm -hmm. of the right (laughs) aspects of their personality. And sometimes I actually can't write a book yet because I can't figure out the right name for the character. That's happened before. I love that there's so much thought into it as well. You're like, right, so that's her name. She's gonna have that nickname. 
two sides of her personality. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it. it's kind of like I was talking to an author friends and um and I was like, you know, I'm really easygoing about about a lot of things in my writing. Like it, it just goes, it's just fine, it's very fluid. But when it comes to naming, it's like no thought and time go into this process. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, We will include all of your links in the description for the podcast. We can't wait to read the second book in the Dark Dream Duet and also to go back and read the Fallen Men series as well. Very excited about that too. I hope that you enjoy it. Yeah, Beautiful Nightmare comes out on December 14th and I also can't wait to show you the gorgeous cover sometime very soon. I know, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun hanging out with you guys today. It was the highlight of my day, so thanks. Aw, thanks for joining us. Honestly, you are so beautiful to chat to, so thanks for joining us. (laughs) 